Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective. I'm your host, Dallas Taylor. And I'm Alexis. And for today's episode, we are going to be going over and discussing Roger Stern's Amazing Spider-Man with, drumroll, Glenn Machette. But Yay. before we get in, yeah, yeah. <laughs> before we get into all that, and we'll let him introduce himself, I want to plug our socials right here in the beginning for all of you new listeners. Please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective, as well as our Instagram, which just has so much, it just turns out content, you know. Uh, at the Comics Collective. <laughs> also, right off the top, we would love it if you all would rate and review us on whatever listening platform you've got us on right now. So go ahead, give us a review, tell us what you think, and we would love to hear from you guys. And finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. And we're going to read those at the end of this episode so mm -hmm. if you email us we will probably read your email so there you go <laughs> it is really fun so um with all that let's jump into this week's episode um glenn would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them about your relationship with spider-man and this run of spider-man specifically yes of course thank you very much and thanks for having me and um, yes <laughs> i have been a spider-man fan oh god for as long as i can really remember Starting off with the 90s cartoon, probably, um, was my first real major exposure, and that led to reading comic adaptions of those episodes and also some original stories set in that universe. Um, and what led me to this run in Spider-Man, sort of in, a, in sort of the six and six, uh, main, the main Spider-Man, was I was in Florida when I was... 11 or 12 or so, uh, just last week, of course, uh, when I'm not old, <laughs> and, um, and uh, they had comics in uh, something like Walmart or that, and I, I had my parents buy me three, uh, three books from uh, Spinner Rack, and that was uh, A Song of the Hedgehog, Archie Comics thing, which was a, which was a comic version of the cartoon of the time. Um, Essential Spider-Man 3, which uh, collects some of the Stanley uh, John Romita Sr. run, and uh, Hobgoblin Lives, trade paperback. And the reason I really wanted to read Hobgoblin Lives was in the cartoon, the Hobgoblin, uh, and who they were, was a major mystery, and they didn't reveal it until, like, the last season. I was like, who is that side? You know, I, I'm a sucker for... Who, whodunits and masked criminal mysteries. Uh, mm -hmm. And Spider-Man has a very rich history from them, going back to like the Stan and, Stan and Steve days. Um, so I wanted to read this comic because I figured um, it would tell me who the Hobgoblin was. The trouble was that I didn't realize that this was something completely different. So I was reading a comic with a much older Spider-Man who was married and there was characters I didn't know who the heck they were. Uh, and that comic had some, some fantastic additional material, which basically took you through the characters, the Hobgoblin's characters' history of what issues they appeared in, how the mystery worked from kind of the background side of things, like how Stern was like, right, in this issue, 
uh, Hobgoblin's up to this in the background, and blah, 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 and he's doing this to throw the reader off to their identity, and I, so I got an entire list of appearances that was ultimately his original run uh, that was collected in the omnibus we're talking about today, and I find an LCS like close uh, local to me, and they had a ton of uh, single issues from this era, and that's really, and I just devour, I got as many as I could, and I just devoured them. Um, so, like, this run goes back years. This is maybe one of my first Spider-Man, like, mainstream Spider-Man runs. All right. So, Roger Stern Spider-Man, amazing. One of the first things I want yes. to talk about is how do you feel about Black Cat as the love interest for Spider-Man that was introduced here at this, during this run? I thought it was kind of cute. <laughs> I don't know if that's the popular opinion, but... I love Felicia. I've always loved Felicia. I, I, it really annoys me whenever, and I and I and I can see why. There's a lot of obvious parallels to her and Catwoman, Selina Kyle. Um, um, but and people are like, oh, you know, Black Cat's just Catwoman, and I I heavily disagree with that. They obviously have their similarities, um, but I think they're two very distinct characters, and it's cool to kind of have that kind of character for Spider-Man, who's a bit like. Felicia is a partner to romantic partner to Peter, like he's only ever had. She's like a cool girl. She's a bit dangerous. She's the girl that Aunt May would never have approved of, you know. <laughs> and she's a bit, she's a bit of a risk taker. She uh, only likes Spider Man, uh, really, uh, at this point in the in the in the, in the canon, anyway. Um, so I was always a big fan of Felicia, but it, it was, I, mean, I never really took it as a relationship that could last because they're too, it's almost like their relationship is almost too hot to last. It's like a flame. It, it burns bright, but it doesn't burn long. And that that's sort of their relationship in a nutshell. I feel like their relationship is a little bit what from the outside looking in, Mary Jane and Peter could be if they didn't have the emotional depth that came with their shared experience, you know? Because, like, MJ is also a fun, uh, light, sort of lighthearted character, but there is a seriousness to her. And, I mean, Aunt May even references that in this run, right? She tells Peter, like, I think you and Mary Jane have more in common than you give each other credit for. So I thought that was a really interesting parallel, especially when MJ comes into the story while Pete is dating Felicia. And I loved I loved that sneak attack by the friends that made me giggle. <laughs> I was like, that yeah. would that would happen. <laughs> yeah, like so oh me, yep yep. Oh, so you go. Whenever on. I, whenever I came into Spider mainstream Spider-Man comics, they were Peter and Mary Jane were married, so I have a bit of a prejudice for the Spider marriage and that uh, particular relationship. Um, but to me, Mary Jane. So what they how they developed her character later on is that she was kind of hiding behind a persona of her own. Whereas I think with Felicia, although there's stuff there that was revealed later on, um, that she's also dealing with stuff. She's much less hidden. There's a lot of Peter and Mary Jane that they hide from themselves and other people. Um, Whereas Felicia, I think, has less inhibitions in regards to that, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, totally. I would agree with that. I mean, I do, as Betty Brandt's personal defense attorney, I have to say that she is, in <laughs> fact, the best love interest for Peter Parker. But Dallas, Dallas is Betty's number one fan. Forget but the spider else. marriage, the spider marriage is great. I do, I am sad every day that it isn't still going on. But that is that is beside the point of this podcast. Um, I don't. I I kind of thought the the portrayal of Felicia was interesting, where it seemed like a lot of it was happening in the spectacular run of the time. So I yes, kept, we kept getting like breadcrumbs in the amazing that we were reading. That was like, oh, there's this great relationship going on over there. But like, just take our word for it over here, because this is where Peter <laughs> is fighting the cool people, you know? And so having just read all of the Lee Ditko, Lee Ramita stuff for the show a couple months ago, it was interesting to transition back into a period where there were two Spider-Man books going on at the same time, you know? And just having to use sort of my comic book brain to be... Like, yeah, I'll just, yeah. I'll take your word for it. I'll, yep, that's all happening over there. Great. I don't have to see it to believe that it's going on. And so that was a little interesting for me. And I think maybe I would have been more invested in Felicia had I seen more of the relationship play out in Amazing. But really, yeah, that's is... just, oh, I was going to say, really, that's just on me, though. You know, like if I had read the spectacular stuff, I'm sure I would have liked it more. I mean, that, that's a great run as well. Um, and yeah, it is much more in that run, and like writers like Peter David doing great work with uh, Felicia over there, uh, and really developing her character and again, making her her own. Just I think the the concept probably the pitch probably was, hey, why doesn't Spider Man have a Catwoman? But they do a lot of work in that era of making her her own character and giving her a lot of depth and stuff like that. So yeah, she's. There's actually, apart from maybe Brand New Day, there's Felicia's characterization and main arcs probably don't appear that much in, in Amazing uh, proper, which is interesting. Yeah, because she's a pretty major character in Spidey's life, you know? So it's interesting yes. that she she pops up pretty rarely in the main title. Yeah. I mean, Right now, she has an amazing title of her own going on. If you want to know more about Felicia, she has a great, great book going on right now. So there's a, a shameless plug for a modern comic. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? Uh, but no, I, I always liked Felicia, and I always liked uh, where what what got added to her character later on. I can Is it this run? Uh, but again, it's been it's been a hot minute since I read this run. Um, is it this run whenever Peter breaks up with her, she starts dating Flash, or with that is that Tom DeFalco? I think that's probably Tom DeFalco. That didn't pop up here. That didn't pop up here, right? Uh, mm -hmm. it, 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 she does. Suppose she when Peter breaks up with her, she starts dating Flash to make Peter jealous. Uh, but then Flash is uh, who's getting his own major character development uh, after being just the bully um is like a really decent guy and she starts to have feelings for him so she gets a lot of character work there under defalco after this period interesting um alexis what did you think of the portrayal of just felicia as a character i i feel like it happened a lot where when she would pop up in amazing it was a little bit for her to be like i'm gonna go on an adventure with spider-man oopsie i got in the way and I just, I wonder what your opinion of that is. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like we definitely, from what um, we went through, just like the little snippet of it, you know, I feel like we, my impression of her was, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I kind of felt like she just was like, I'm going to follow Spider-Man around because it's a flex and I'm the girl that's hanging out with Spider-Man and look what we're doing. This is so fun. And I feel like she, I don't know, like I, I'm, now that you've mentioned the run that she's got going now, like I might want to go check it out just to kind of see some more depth of her character. And I mean, I feel like, cause we also saw um, the bits and pieces of where he would visit her in the hospital. And those were very short, um, but he always went as Spider-Man, but obviously he knew like they've got the, um, superhero aside relationship, but he just always was Spider-Man every time that he went and visited her in the hospital, and I thought that was very interesting. It was definitely a fun inversion of all the romance that we've seen before this, right? Where Spider-Man is the thing that stays in between him and his love interest, but with Felicia, it's almost the opposite, where Peter would be the thing that got in the way of them being having their happily ever after. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, yeah, that makes me laugh. <laughs> Yeah, there's like, uh, again, I can't remember if it's this run or a future run, but there's a great, like, pair of panels where he is trying to have a relationship, I think it's with Mary Jane, probably, and he can't, because, uh, and he sort of imagines him and Mary Jane being pushed away each other, uh, from each other by Spider-Man, and then he has a similar scene with Felicia where he can't really commit to her because of his Peter Parker life, and it's exactly, and he has exactly the same sort of image in his head, except it's him and, and Felicia and he's Spider-Man and Peter's pushing them apart. Yeah, yeah, that was, I can't remember if that was in The Amazing or in Roger Stern's Spectacular, but that was in this omnibus. And it was, it was okay. It was really cool to see. Um, we'll get to the artwork for this series maybe a little bit further down, but um, I want to talk a little bit about the supporting cast, Alexis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you guys feel about the Daily Bugle as a supporting cast um, for Spider-Man? I think the, uh, Peter and Spider-Man have some one of the best supporting casts in comics. Um, I think Jonah alone is such a great character, and and so there's so many writers, uh, unfortunately, have a bad habit of misusing Jonah or not quite understanding him. Even great writers like Dan Slott, I don't think. That was probably, if I had to criticize Slot's run, it was probably how he wrote Jonah. He wrote uh, Jonah's character to Jonah, whereas if you look at writers like Stern or J.M. Dimitess, uh, they write a much more nuanced version of Jonah, a much more multi-faceted um, kind of, um, version of the characters. Chip Zdarsky is definitely, obviously, a modern-day version of that who really gets the character and, and has probably done the best work with Jonah for decades. Uh, so him alone, he's great. But then there's Robbie and Betty and Ned. Uh, you know, I I always liked the Daily Bugle like staff. I kind of miss that from the modern day books, as Peter has had to move away from the freelance photographer gig, which makes all the sense in the world, given that that job just doesn't make sense anymore in the modern day. Uh, and the but removing it from that role means last time at the bugle. So we maybe get Robbie here and there, but we don't get to see really Betty or uh, 
or you know glory or that really that much anymore and these are great characters and I, and I really miss them yeah i'm i'm 100 in agreement i feel like anyone foolish enough to follow me on twitter every couple days i'm just ranting about how i love the daily bugle and i feel like that's where some of the best moments in any of these issues are I've always said that some of the magic of Spider-Man is that I honestly care more about Peter Parker than I do Spider-Man, you know? And I think that the Daily Bugle is a huge part of that. This supporting cast is compelling their dynamic. Kind of like you said, they're not caricatures like so many background characters become in comic books, but rather they are multifaceted people with their own motivations, their own personalities that are fun to watch. So I... I mean, that was one of my huge takeaways, again, from... I'm going to keep referencing back to the Lee Ditko, Lee Ramita stuff, because I that's my favorite. I love that. And I think oh, yeah. that I think that Stern really captured what that magic of the Daily Bugle was in a way that I haven't seen many other writers do. I think a lot of people have love for the Daily Bugle. They have love for those characters. But there is a certain dynamic that I think Stern really taps into that that original run had. Um, but what do you think, Alexis? Um, I was going to say, I just think that it's really fun to actually see a superhero comic that, like, I feel like he has a really good group of just fun friends that, like, I feel invested in as well. Not Ooh. just, like, oh, I'm here for Spider-Man. Who cares about everybody else? You know, because I feel like some other runs of different characters, that can happen. And you're like, oh, like, it's joe schmo from down the street like who cares about him but um i really feel like whenever these different characters pop up and they um like have different fun things to do and it kind of they drag peter into it i like to see the characters relationships as actual people and i feel like that helps it kind of kind of be um interpreted for us normally people that look like this is something that everybody can appreciate. Like this is a normal relationship that he's got going. So I think that's something that's really fun with those characters. Yeah. I, think I, that's Sorry, I would just say, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, what were you going to add, Glenn? I just, I think this is something that at least at this era, Marvel always did a bit better with supporting cast. Like you had Matt Murdock and, Foggy and, and Karen back in the day and then you had Luke Cage and he had like the apartment full of people that he kind of took care of. You had Tony and Pepper and Happy. I mean I know that Batman obviously has the Bat family and Alfred and Jim. Alfred and Jim Gordon are two of the best spring characters in comics ever but most I just think that Marvel heroes were always more about the personal side of things as well as the superhero side and, and Spider-Man especially captains that that was in the in the League Ditko years it was all about like the high school drama and you know dealing with Flash and you know can can I ask Liz out to this dance or whatever um and worrying about dating the, the girl next door and then uh, and then obviously Lee Ramirez Sr. took that to another level because they they probably were much more about the personal drama over the superhero stuff because that's what Ramita Sr. excelled in. He he came from romance comics, so it became much more of a teen drama than a superhero drama. And so it was like all about Peter and a love triangle with Gwen 
and MJ, uh, but there was still a lot of stuff with Rob, Robbie Robertson came into that uh, era. Uh, and then I think he bounced, like, he bounced really so well off Jonah right away. Um, and he was like an early kind of character in comics that was black and was in a kind of prominent role in a, in a major superhero supporting cast uh, well before characters like Lucius Fox and things like that. And it's, there's just so much history there and so much nuance to these characters. And that, that's kind of what you get in the B titles as well. Like uh, Jim Damatess invested a lot of character development into Robbie uh, during his many runs on Spider-Man with the stuff with Tombstone and all. Um, but yeah, it's, it's almost something I thought Marvel did slightly better than DC. I guess sort of my follow-up question to to what you were just saying. Do you like the the Ramita Senior era of drama and that supporting cast more, or do you like this sort of Ramita Junior supporting cast and era of drama better, just personally? I think that the, the, the Ramita Senior one's more iconic. I think uh, whenever people, like, I think that part of the problem that, that Marvel's had with Spider-Man is they wanted to be that kind of dynamic repeaters, like, you know, having, he's caught between two girls and he's, he's trying to balance a job and take care of Aunt May and be Spider-Man at the same time. Whereas we're, we've been there, we've done that, we've worn the t-shirt. Uh, but it's kind of the most iconic era. Whenever I think, a lot of people obviously, when they think of Spider-Man, they think of him high school era and that's where most of the media has him in the films and the cartoons, but whenever I think of Spider-Man, uh, I think of college year of Spider-Man. So that's probably more iconic, but I do love the the, the relationships that Stern built. Uh, I, I just think that Stern was the first, and there were some great runs between Lee and Stern, don't get me wrong, like Conan and stuff like that. But I think Stern was the first writer since Lee to really balance everything just right. Uh, and I can't quite explain how he did it or what makes it different than all those writers that came before him after Stan left. But I, I just think he just he just did it and it just worked. Uh, so I, I would say the Ramita Senior stuff in answer to your question because it's more iconic. But I, I do love this era of supporting cast as well. Yeah, I, I mean, my favorite era, it's no mystery to anyone that listens to this or anyone that listens to my rantings that the Ramita Senior era, Ramita Senior era is my favorite era of Spider-Man. I think the reason I fell in love with Spider-Man were the Raimi Spider-Man movies when I was a little boy. And like, those are the only adaptation that I can think of off the top of my head that has Peter in college for the majority, right? He graduates high school very quickly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those movies, they really want to adapt that Ramita Senior era. So like, that's my personal favorite, but I do think you hit it right on the head when you say that Stern knows how to balance it perfectly. I find myself all the time with modern Spider-Man comics over the last 10 years, and we'll get into a little bit more of modern Spider-Man later with the listener questions, but I find that that balance is so hard to strike. There are these little spurts where the supporting cast comes back in, and that's honestly when I get reattached to things, right? Like this last arc of Spencer's run with Robbie and Tombstone and their kids and all of that. Like, I loved every minute of that. But before, with the like 20 issues of Kindred, 
I wanted to pluck my eyelashes out one by one a little bit. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I don't care. I don't care about this original character that you made. Please, please write Spider-Man. I don't want whatever's going on. You're trying to do Craven's Last Hunt. You're not doing it well. Like, move back to what you're good at. But, but sorry to anybody that really liked that. I don't I want to like dunk on something, <laughs> you like, but it really was not for me. Talos um, is out here just butchering everyone's feelings. <laughs> yeah, monster. What can I say? I, I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing. I pretend to be nice, but really, I'm just here to make people feel bad about themselves. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's just everybody in the in this realm. <laughs> yeah, Perfect. you just have to. It's just, well, um, I'll if I get on my Spencer box, you'll never get me off. So we'll we'll save my <laughs> box on it for later. Um, Alexis, do you have any comments about the supporting cast before we move on to the next question? I was going to say, I feel like this, so who wrote this, like, because you guys keep mentioning, like, the two people, which one's which? So, <laughs> um, Stan Lee and John Romita Sr. Okay, yes. were the majority of what we did last time. That's what I thought, okay. And Roger Stern and John Romita Jr. did all of what we read this time. Oh. Oh, okay. So yeah. Ramita so Jr. That... is the son of Ramita Sr. Oh, cute. Yeah. Spider-Man, and this is his and dad. Son and this dad's is his, son. Uh, first tenure on Spider Man of, of like three or four times. He's come back yeah. to the characters like three or four times since. Yeah. And he has a different art style every time. <laughs> That's cool. We love it. Um, yeah. But no, I. Sorry. I was, I was just going to say, I really liked this little patch that we read for this um, episode because I feel like it was a really refreshing view on Spider-Man because I feel like we get so caught up in like the classic story. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows Gwen and knows MJ and knows what's going on. But it was really fun to actually see these characters in a different light and let them be there and let them have their own lives and their own things going on and kind of explore them a little bit more versus the traditional um, MJ classic story, you know, and I really, it was really fun to read, kind of shake it up a little. I mean, totally. It, it definitely is a less trod era, which is surprising because kind of like Glenn said, the 90s Spider-Man cartoon, that was all the exposure I had to Hobgoblin. And it's like, even though I'd never really read his comics, I knew who Hobgoblin was. And I was like, he's yeah. really important. So <laughs> it's it's surprising that this era hasn't been adapted more in live action. They mm-hmm. Hollywood has a hard time getting up out of those first hundred issues. <laughs> but I mean, that's, that might be a conversation for another time. I know, but I was just going to say, I mean, you and I have had the conversation of <laughs> Spider-Man in the movies is always just portrayed as the little dorky high school kid but as we said he's not in high school for hardly any of um comic spider-man universe like he's always doing something else other than just traditional high school yeah yeah the second ditko leaves he's he's off to college uh even before i think it's uh the 30s and mid 30s he graduates and then uh ditko leaves about 40 odd so yeah. it's uh, but it's like he like Gwen is introduced towards the end of the Ditko era, and he's that's when he's in college. Yeah, I'm pretty sure second to last Ditko issue was Peter's yeah, graduation. He, yeah, but like Molten Man, good old Molten Man. 
<laughs> I speaking of that, here's a rabbit hole I'm about to send us down. Do I love want? that Stern reintroduced the like villain stupid villain of the week with this run. You know, like we still definitely had the the overarching hobgoblin story that we'll get into. But that's something yeah. I really love about that original run that's turned us so well is he's like, here's this random stupid villain Spider-Man has to fight this week, and it's going to be great. And it was every single time, you know? Yeah. Like, I know that Stern didn't invent Tarantula, but it was so fun that the I Will of the Wisp. How dare you call stupid. How dare you call Will of the Wisp stupid. <laughs> stupid is a term of endearment on this podcast. I always Will of the Wisp. Will of the West is stupid. I actually really like Toronto, so I think he's really underrated as a Spider-Man villain. Uh, they just, they, he's it's just, it, it's weird. Um, beyond the Lee villains, there's very few that sort of get brought back over and over. Yeah, I mean, this run will always hold a special place in my heart because it has such a, a high density of the vulture in it. And when I opened this omnibus and I saw, I looked at the covers, I was like, oh, man, a lot of these have Vulture on them. Like, this is going to be a good run for Dallas Taylor. I love yeah. that stupid I love that stupid old man. Every time he shows up, Vulture. I'm like, I'm like, look at that septuagenarian go. I love him so much. Vulture's such a brilliant villain that not many writers get to take, get take advantage of. I could well, probably he's such a fun... He's such a fun foil to Spider-Man with Spider-Man being this youthful character and that sort of being the point of Spider-Man, at least in the early stuff, and him being so old, him being able to fly, making him one of the only adversaries that could really challenge or scare Spider-Man, you know, like he's just such a beautiful foil to the character that every time he pops up and it's just fun to have somebody that hates Spider-Man just to hate Spider-Man a little bit, you know, there's no yeah. deep, there's no deeper plot than like, this stupid guy ruins my plan every time. And so then by the by the era of the Stern stuff, he literally, like, Vulture could have gotten away with so many things. But then Spider-Man shows up and he's kind of, like, gets blood in his eyes. He's like, I got to kill that stupid red and blue guy. <laughs> his and power I, gets I stronger the more he hates. Sound familiar? Just like Necra. But, like, <laughs> I, I love it. I love Vulture in this era. And I just, I thought that Robert, just like you said earlier, Glenn, like Roger Stern just sort of gets Spider-Man and he gets how to balance everything in a fun way so that nothing's ever dragging. He definitely added probably the most to Vulture since Lee by quite a mile. He added a lot of backstory oh, yeah. to Adrian, a lot of motivation. Um, this is probably the most character development that Adrian ever got apart from when uh, Millar introduced his like uh, son and grandchild. Um, but, uh, yeah, this, I mean, he is like, like, this is when I don't think there's such a thing as a bad villain. It just takes a, it just takes the right writer to bring out the best in them. And I think Demetrius did it with Craven, obviously. And I think Stern did it with, uh, Tombs. I would agree. I mean, I, I thought the Vulture was funny and I liked him, but. I didn't feel this deep burning love for Vulture that I have right now until I read this stuff, yeah. you know? I was like, this is my guy. Like, someone asked me, who's your favorite Spider-Man villain? My answer is Vulture, which if you'd asked me a month ago, I wouldn't have answered. Yeah. Just said nothing. I refuse to answer your question. 
I do I do not recognize the power of the authority of this court to answer the question of who's my favorite Spider-Man villain. <laughs> <laughs> they're all good and they're all dumb. I I love them. I love them all. I love the idea that this whole run is built off of somebody stumbling onto the goblin stuff and being like, hmm, I'm going to do that again, but orange. Like, I love that. That's beautiful. Well, the thing is, it, well, I'm, we're, I don't want to get too far deep, deep into the hobgoblin rabbit hole quite yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, before we do that, do you, so you, I asked you to get some questions for us. Yes. Do you, do you want to do your first question for us? I do. Uh, so, I was wondering, um, in this omnibus, it collects the two free parts, nothing that stops the juggernaut, which is considered one of the best Spider-Man stories of all time. Why do you guys think that it, that is considered one of the best stories ever? Yeah, what do you think, Alexis? I was just going to say, I feel like reading those few issues where the juggernaut was basically tearing up the city and I kind of couldn't help but put myself in Spider-Man's shoes and just thinking like what the literal hell like where did this dude come from why is he here why can't I do anything to stop him like I just imagine feeling if if I were him I would just feel so frustrated and I just think that's so funny because no one's ever seen this guy before Spider-Man doesn't know who he is and he just shows up tries to attack this little old lady who Spider-Man likes and he then he just dips and I feel like it's just I could feel the tension and the frustration from Spider-Man and I just thought it was super funny and I feel like that's something that it like really like sucks you in and you feel like you have to keep on reading it and so I really liked those those um, few issues. Um, I definitely think it's because Juggernaut and his boyfriend, Black Tom Cassidy, are just a great <laughs> duo in comic book history. Um, I feel like that is the most easily like, oh, yeah, even if you don't pick up on that kind of subtext very often, you're like, oh, they're boyfriends. Cool. I love that for them. And so that that's my answer. Um, but I I do something I thought was really interesting reading Nothing Stops the Juggernaut was just sort of how it was an updated and more enthralling version of that original Rhino story from the Ramita Senior era. You know, it's unstoppable force and how on earth is Spider-Man going to stop that? And there very much was with the Rhino, Spidey was able to outthink him. He was able to defeat it. But then to see with Nothing Can Stop the Juggernaut, the title was correct. Like Spider-Man did not stop the juggernaut from doing what he was going to do. And it wasn't until Peter sort of got like that classic Parker rage, right? When like something terrible happens that he was able to overpower the juggernaut really through trickery, you know, but I, I feel like it's one of the best examples of Peter's resilience and his desire to stand against these unstoppable odds that he's often faced with. I know, what are your thoughts, Glenn? Why do you think it's so iconic? I just think I just think that you know I love unusual or pairings between hero and villain that you don't see very often. I always I always never I I, can't, I never like that it's like well you know 
here's, I don't know, Sabretooth, so we better call Wolverine, you know, no one else, you know, Iron Man's right here, but we better call Wolverine, you know. Um, and so I always like it when you get these unconventional hero-villain uh, pairings. And Spider-Man isn't used to facing someone like the Juggernaut. I mean, the Juggernaut usually fights the X-Men, obviously. And he, so he's usually outnumbered, and that's usually how the X-Men beat him. They beat him by force of numbers or, like, distracting him. Spider-Man's on his own, and he just is not used to dealing with someone like this, apart from Rhino, but Juggernaut's far more powerful than Rhino is. And I just love how Ramita Jr. drew, like, his powers. He was, like, walking through walls like they were made of paper. And Peter's just like, what the hell? Uh, you know, and it's like, just like, what, what do I do? I literally, can, there's nothing I can do against this guy that's even slowing him down. Um, like, webbing, punches, nothing works. Nothing works. And I just love that Peter is having to maybe, because he is used to dealing with heroes that are a bit, intellectually challenged on average shall we say you know electro isn't a brain surgeon you know um but <laughs> he he is having to use his brain a bit more here and i, I really like that it's something different and it was just something that we've never seen before and that's a rarity in comics even in this era you know uh, we think oh we've seen all oh, spider-man we've seen him fight dr octopus 150 times what we'll just see him fight him again it's going to be slightly different this time but it'll be ultimately the same this is something different. This is something new. The, the weird thing about this is, um, the story to me is that I saw, I mean, they've done sort of pastiches, uh, pastiches on uh, the story quite a number of times. They've uh, hard Mackey in his Peter Parker Spider-Man run, which was drawn by John Romita Jr. And one of the many times he came back to Spider-Man, did basically a sequel to this story. And then Roger Stern uh, during Brand New Day, did a story called Something Can jo- Stop the Juggernauts with Lee Weeks. So I- I've seen this story kind of revisited a little bit. Um, but this, this, I just, I don't know, there's just something about it that just really works. This, this dynamic of how determined Spider-Man is, he's a bit of a stubborn idiot. And but this, being a stubborn yeah. idiot isn't going to work, but he's going to keep doing it. <laughs> I feel like there was, I wish I had it in front of me, but there was just this four panel thing where Spidey was hanging on the top of Juggernaut and he, I mean, to to summarize what I'm sure Roger Stern made much more eloquent, he's just like, I realize I'm not going to stop this guy, but that's not going to stop me from trying. And I feel like yeah. that's a really beautiful encapsulation of who Peter Parker is, right? Yeah, that absolutely. He, he feels this duty to protect pe- the people that are calling on him and even the people that haven't called on him he's going to never give up he's not somebody that will look at something as unstoppable as the juggernaut and be like oh oh well you know that's out of my weight class he's always the he's the front line at all times and i think that's really fun um but again i i think that this is so so magical and so special because it's an x-men villain and the x-men are really the best superhero team in all of comics and this is how i tricked glenn into being on an x-men podcast because he mm, doesn't care about them. tricked you glenn I, we're talking about the uh, i do it's not that i don't care about the x-men uh, no 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 i like the x-men just fine uh, i just never 
again, it goes back to slight rabbit hole, uh, to, to steal a phrase, is that whenever I was watching the 90s Spider-Man and the Batman animated series, one holds up, the other doesn't, um, their excellent animated series was on as well, and I thought, I like these two other things, maybe I will like this third thing as well. And I have this distinct memory of watching the X-Men cartoon, and it was an episode where Cable is in the future, and there's apocalypse, and he's going back in time. He's like, I can stop this all from happening. I'm like, I don't know what the heck's going on here. It just seems so, so confusing. And that just put me off the X-Men for life. You're not wrong. That is exactly the experience of the X-Men. The X-Men have made the brave decision to say, if you didn't start with us in 1975, you're not welcome here. And... (laughs) That's the kind of gatekeeping um, that no other franchise that I know of really has. You know, people try and make jumping on points, and the X-Men say, nope, sorry, no can do. We are so convoluted that you cannot join on unless you were alive and reading comics in 1975. Or willing to read it all, which I am not. I don't need to go. I am. I have dined. I have, I have latched on to so many other heroes uh, over the years. I do not need to to jump into that deep, deep well. Because I will never get out. Um, the only uh, I've only I've only I always enjoy seeing the X Men show up. I like the characters. I've read a couple of Wolverine runs. Um, I've read one X Men run in my life, and that is plenty for me. I will do. I will get you to read the X Men. This is my life's journey never. at this point. Never. It'll be like twenty years down the road, and I'll be like, Glenn, remember <laughs> me from Twitter, that ancient website." <laughs> Read the X Men. You'll be like, fine. In this Twitter, they called World War Five. <laughs> yeah, for, true. <laughs> Alexis, do you want to bring us back on track before I go too deep into the X Men? Of course, I feel like that's my job. So here we I are. I was going to say, is that, is that is that your role in this podcast? Yeah, Alexis? that's definitely my um my job. Not, it would just be the it would just be the X Men every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, X Men or Spider Man. So I mean, we're pretty on topic either way. That, those are my two interests, and I will bash everyone over the head with them for the rest of my life. I can't argue, I can't argue with uh, the Spider-Man, to be honest. That's all right. All right. Okay, so next question for the party. Okay, what is it that makes the kid who collects Spider-Man so special? Because it rips out your heart and shows it to you and laughs. <laughs> it, it really does. It says, aww. And the kid's gonna die. And you're like, what? What? Yeah. You can't do that to me. Plot just, twist for me to rip out your heart. I think it's such a beautiful tribute to Spider-Man without that ending, and that ending just makes it just just really sinks at home, you know. Oh, totally. And I honestly think like we are all the kid who collects Spider-Man, right? Especially <laughs> like, you. Sure, the kid. <laughs> The kid pulls out his photo album of newspaper clippings, but like Roger Stern's looking you in the eyes and he's like, you've got a whole big long box full of these, don't you? And like, it would (laughs) mean the world to you if Spider-Man came and visited you and cared about you, you know? And so it's a very easy story to put yourself into, but then it also, it just shows so well the human side of Peter Parker, the side of Peter Parker that cares about everybody and loves everybody in a unique way you know and i think that's yeah great. i mean i don't know how many other heroes or if you could tell this type of story for any other hero could, just, could you imagine like wolverine showing up to this kid hey kid i hear you're not well have a cigar you know, it, you know 
that wouldn't work. Hey, um, hey, bub, want to try a cigar? Hey, You're bub. gonna die anyway, bub. <laughs> like what the hell? hell? Or, or punish, or like punisher is like, hey, do you want a gun? <laughs> no. Yeah, want to go shoot some bad Frank, guys? Not really. Our dad. No. Frank, <laughs> stop giving kids, children guns. Never. Um, you know, that's Batman's joke. Um, but. Yeah, I, I just think that this is a story that could only work with Spider-Man because he is like the pe- the people's hero. He's like the he's like the more everyday hero. He's not the one that like fights Galactus or he's not the one that always saves the world. He's the one that's like in he's the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And I and I think like stuff like this is just as important as all that other stuff for him to like take the time out of his out of his like 50 titles a month to go and see a kid that adores him that doesn't have very long to live it's it's just such a gut punch of a story it is kind of hilarious in retrospect given that the article that uh, in the bugle that uh causes spider-man to uh go and see the kid is written by jacob conover uh do you guys know why I don't know. Um, in his second Spider-Man run, Tom DeFalco made Jacob Ton- uh, Conover the Rose. Oh, sheesh. He made him like a crime lord. <laughs> I was like, but he took time out of his day to write this great article about this kid that's dying. <laughs> that, that's wonderful. I... <laughs> Of all the characters to go back in mine to make into a supervillain, into a crime boss. That's funny. I didn't it, know that. It was one of those, I think it was one of those, uh, that was the era of many masked supervillain mysteries. And I don't really think they knew how to solve any of them. So they were like, eh, who's, who's, what's a character from the past no one cares about? Jacob Conover, he'll do lovely. His motivation was that he was uh, fired from the Bugle. And he, um, he, he basically needed to earn a living. So he's like, Hey, crime! That's a good idea. I think it was well. It was a, it was a take on uh, Frederick Foswell as well. I mean, I feel that right now as I'm scrambling to find some employment in the big city. Like, crime is looking more and more appealing. You know. Have, so. have you thought about being a masked uh, crime boss? He's going to yeah, turn to I petty think... theft. <laughs> oh, what was the name of the guy from? Like issue what eleven? That was the original boss of the enforcers. The big man. Big man. That's right. I mean, I love back when they had stupid names like Big Man and Fancy Dan. That is, mwah, beautiful. Love it. Big man. Again, that, that was that was Frederick. That was Frederick Crossfell. That's what I mean. So I think the whole thing about reporter turns out to be a crime boss was a take on like a homage oh, totally. to that as well. Totally, totally. Um, um, and I mean, yeah, as somebody, no, as somebody that is. A big man. I'm I'm six four. Like I I will be the big man in New York City. That's my plan. <laughs> He's a big boy. <laughs> um, I mean I um, but yeah, kid kid that's I was just, uh, and I've seen it. I've seen it again. Uh, well, much like nothing that stops the juggernaut. I've seen it kind of redone a little. Jenkins uh, did a beautiful one shot about a black boy whose best friend is Spider Man. Uh, and he's living in, uh, his parents are, like, arguing all the time, his best friend is Spider-Man, uh, and that's that's kind of a, a take on this, and then, obviously, uh, Tom Taylor did uh, the Spider-Mite issue from, what, like, two, a year or two ago, 
and that's I think it was just, two years ago, it, yeah. Uh, but uh, but this is like the and those and those stories aren't just ripping off the kind of like Spider Man. I don't mean that, but, but they're kind of in the same vein. But this is such a sweet, simple idea that it's like. I can just see writers at Pixar going, damn it, why didn't we think of a kid who's going to die as a superhero? Yeah, yeah, it's really special. Uh, Alexis, do you have any other thoughts about it before we move on to the next question? I just feel like it makes you so much more invested in what's going on. Just like, I mean, kind of what you said, like, there's a dying kid involved. It's just, ooh, ooh, rip out your heart, hand it to you, and kind of just punch you right in the face. Like, here you go. You kind of... Feel like the issue should be accompanied by a Sarah McLaughlin song. Oh, or and she's yeah. holding a dog, petting it. No, she's Those holding the little boy. Commercials. Oh yeah, she's holding the little she's boy. Holding the little boy. They're just in the yard. Yeah, he has a little, he has a little Spider-Man stuffed animal. He, he actually showed up in. There was a brilliant issue that Dan slotted with Marcus Martin, where after um, Marla Jameson died. And Peter basically thought about all the people who died over the years. But again, Spider-Man is guilt. Guilt of Spider-Man. And the wee boy was there. He was like, hey, Spider-Man, I still love you. And I was like, oh. <laughs> that, that is lo- brutal. That is brutal. Mm. Man, Spider-Man can't catch a break. Uh, I no. guess that's the whole thing. Like, if Spider-Man ever stopped being guilty, the comic would end. So, oh, well. I'll exactly. watch. I'll yeah. watch Peter Parker be miserable. <laughs> That's his whole driving force to be a hero is his guilt. His he has to be miserable all the time. Yeah, there's there's no no respite for Peter if Parker. If there's no tears, there's no comic. And Spider Man Blue. Have you guys read Spider Man Blue? I love Spider Man Blue. I love Spider Man Blue as well. Alexis, have you read Spider Man Blue? I think I did. Dallas, didn't I? I'm pretty sure I had you read it. I'm sure we did. Because I think... Um, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> there's, like, there's like a beautiful line in that where he's like reminiscing about the past and he's going, battles follows good, but the good not doesn't necessarily last long, but the, the bad can sometimes be really bad. And I was like, oh my God, that's, that's just this character, Titi. Yeah, it really is. I mean... The other day, I I had a moment of clarity where I was like, oh, all my favorite characters are the same character with Peter Parker, Wally West, Dick Grayson, Mark Grayson from Invincible. I was like, oh, they're all the same. And I was like, but Peter Parker is the saddest one. Like he, I love saying something. That is saying something. Like Dick, like, Grayson, Dick Grayson, the two that had his parents killed, fall to death and comes to death. So you don't get much sadder than that. But sometimes... And like, yet sometimes somehow... Yeah, Peter's like, oh yeah, your parents died. Yeah, my, both my parents died, and then my uncle who raised me died. My parents. Yeah, it's like, and then my girlfriend died, and then everyone else died. It's like, oh my god. My aunt's fiance died. My aunt died twice, but not really. My wife died, but not really. Well, it kind of feels like on The Simpsons where the little boy's like, stop, he's already dead. Already dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's me reading Spider-Man yeah. comics. Like, stop, everyone's <laughs> already died. No. Spider-Man's the reason we all need therapy. Spider-Man That's a whole other story. I know. I'm going to, when I get my my master's and I start being a therapist, there's a, a peak 
behind the curtain, everybody. I'm going to go get that original Stanley issue where Spider-Man goes to therapy and it's Mysterio. Because, like, like, that oh. issue rules. I'm going to do it. Or you meant to put it in your office. Real. What was this that? Is, uh, but I'm not, I'm not Mysterio or anything, if that's what you're thinking. I, I love that issue. Here I go again down the Stan Lee rabbit hole. But, like, they pulled the wool over my eyes. Like, when I finally... When it was revealed that it was Mysterio, I was like, man, I'm stupid that I didn't catch on to that. But I was like, man, what is going on with Spider-Man? He's really, like, he's having a rough day. What the heck? And it was Mysterio. I was like, wow, you finally tricked me. I can usually see that from a mile away, but you got me. Good job. Because he was in disguise. He had a beard. And that's all it takes for Dallas Taylor, guys. If you grow some facial hair, it's gone. I have the facial recognition of a goldfish, frankly, but... Fair enough. Do you recognize um, your sister whenever she comes to you? Who are you? Go away. Yeah, I could probably sneak up on him in public. Yeah, probably. I could sneak up on him in public. But she doesn't, you know, she doesn't I think... know... And, I, and I'm, uh, like, a whole world away. It would take me a long time, but I get there. You're and like I a paddle boat. Because of COVID. Mm. Paddle boat. To America. Yeah. You know, we built a suit uh, about the sign. Anyway, go ahead. Mr. Glenn, do you want to start us on the Hobgoblin talk with your question? Yes. Uh, Give me a few moments just to load that up. So, uh, what do you think of the Hobgoblin as a villain versus the various Green Goblins? I think greater than sign. That is, I I didn't think I'd say that. I really like Norman Osborn, but honestly, this Hobgoblin art was, I feel like it was the distillation of all that was great about the Green Goblin from that first big run, all put into and then elevated in this short span. Like, I, I adored the Hobgoblin art in this. And, the, and that's the defining story of this uh, run, really, is the Hobgoblin uh, and that was exactly what Stern was going for. Again, in Hobgoblin Lives, there's a lot of material about his uh, reason for creating the character and why he didn't get to reveal it at the time and why he came back to reveal it was, uh, in this art, in that art, sorry. Uh, and he he said that he, like every, every major Spider-Man writer, does like a version of the original Green Goblin mystery. One way or the other, it sometimes is more obvious than others. Um, but he said he wanted to do that, but he felt that every Green Goblin since Norman, who was dead at the time, uh, was just uh, a shadow of the character. So he thought, well, I don't want to do that again. So he was like, he wanted to do a different character that was like the Green Goblin, but sane, or believed himself to be sane, and was more cunning and more cer- uh, cerebral. The the thing I love about the Hobgoblin is he's using, like, these journals, from Norman's journals, not only to develop the goblin formula and to read all the, like, goblin uh, hideouts, but he's using it to blackmail, like, that blackmail issue in the club is just so good, because Norman had all this dirt on everyone, because everyone trusted him for some reason. I don't know why you would trust someone with that hair, but anyway. Um... And he just uses it to his advantage and gets everyone in the position that he wants. He's saying, I can rule by crime, because 
that was the Green Goblin's original motivation. He just wanted he he just want Spider Man was just a means to the end of it. Originally, he he wanted to get rid of Spider Man because he thought it would give him the credit he needed to take over crime in the city. And then, of course, it got increasingly personal, and that just went to the wayside. Um, but with the Hobgoblin, it's it's much more that return to that original focus um, for that the Green Goblin had, but he's much more cerebral and cunning. Uh, and I just I just love there's so many brilliant character moments and so many interesting. He's it's like uh, he's much more of like a chess player than the Green Goblin ever was. Like more like I can do this move and it'll mean this this and this. Whereas Norman was always like. I'm going to do this and just see what happens. Yeah, I I 100% agree with you. What did you think about all this, Alexis? I mean, of course, we all know that who the traditional um, Green Goblin was. So I actually had no idea that there was even a Hobgoblin at all. <laughs> so it was really fun because I kind of had known that... Um, that the Green Goblin had died and like that that storyline was kind of over. So to see like the beginnings of them stumbling upon one of the secret hideouts and discovering all of this gear, I was like, wow, it took them that long to find one? <laughs> it's been this long that somebody just hasn't been messing around with this stuff. Um but I I it kind of made me laugh because um he just he just went in and he was like, I just got to change the colors of this and I'll just be a completely different person, but I'll look the exact same. And it just, oh, it was... Oh, he has a cape, though. <laughs> true. True, he did add the fun cape. But we love that. And I also it, think his his mask is so much spookier. Yeah, he's a little spooky. His mask is very creepy. <laughs> yeah, but no, I just thought it was way fun and I, I liked... Um, one thing that with the reading that I found very interesting is because um, Peter's protectiveness of the knowledge of like the Osborns, like he knows that if he was to say anything that it would overall like really affect his dear friend. And I find it very interesting that he still is protective over that, even though he knows like, the original Green Goblin legitimately tried to murder him like every day of his life. And he still is like, no, 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 I have to protect my friend. And I just feel like that's really telling to his character about just how good of a good guy he is. And I really, I liked to see um, him kind of relive that when the Hobgoblin um, first showed up when he was like, oh, I really can't sell out that I know where this stuff came from and I know who's responsible, but it would ruin their life. So I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And I thought that was very interesting. Do we, but obviously, and I think that this omnibus is brilliant, but I really think they should have included the Hobgoblin's miniseries at the end, because that's kind of the, the big reveal you find out who it is. I, I can understand why, because there's like, comics uh, like real time there's like 20 years between uh the end of started run and him coming back to tell that story yeah. or like 15 or so so i can understand they, they they didn't want to have a big page of oh and this happened this happened this happened this happened so you know uh, i can i kind of understand that but um did you did you guys have any 
thoughts, or do you guys know who it is? Because obviously it isn't revealed in this omnibus who the Hobgoblin actually is. I'm pretty sure I know, but I would love to hear Alexis's guess. <laughs> I have no freaking idea. <laughs> I was it's like trying Aunt to think. May. Yeah, what? it was Aunt May all along. It was no. Aunt May. Yeah. yeah. That's why the mask's so wrinkly. That was vile, and you know it. <laughs> it's not even a mask. That's just how she looks. It's just her face. This <laughs> is her makeup. <laughs> she just didn't get ready for the day. Yeah, she just woke up. She just always, right after waking up, puts on that orange hood and goes and terrorizes Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> those aren't, those aren't bats that she throws. She throws wheat cakes. Oh, God. Because um, it's really interesting because... Um, Stern talks about like he was leaving the book and Tafalco came to him and says hey I'm going to be next and he's like oh, congratulations I was like I'm not taking it until you because he told nobody he literally told nobody not his editor not his wife nobody who the hell was and Tafalco said I'm not taking the book until you tell me who the Hobgoblin was and apparently he just mumbled the name he didn't say whether he told him the truth or not he says he mumbled him the name and Tafalco's like, are you telling me the truth? And he says, you know what, Tom? You're the writer now. You make the Hobgoblin whoever you want. And then they messed it up. <laughs> you don't like who they ended up saying it was? No, well, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting story. Um, if you don't mind a divergence. So basically, they couldn't decide who it was. And Jim Isley, who became Christopher Priest, was the editor of the Spider-Man books. And he came to Peter David's. And said, Peter, I know who the Hobgoblin is. And he was like, Peter's like, great, who is it? And Christopher Priest was like, it's the foreigner. And Peter David was like, what? The foreigner who was like the, the Kingpin's like fixer at the time. And that makes no sense because he's like a he's like a cerebral guy who works in the background. He's not like the Hobgoblin at all. And then and then Christopher Priest was like, well, who would you the Hobgoblin? And then Peter David was like, I don't know. Um, so eventually they decided, let's just make it Ned Leeds. And they did... Which is horrible. Yeah, they did a Spider-Man vs. Wolverine one-shot where him and Ned go to some European country, I can't remember which. Ned is killed off-panel by the foreigner's men because uh, he's the Hobgoblin. And at the time the Hobgoblin was blackmailing the Kingpin and that was the motivation and that was the reveal and then they handed it off the Hobgoblin role to Jason McIndale who was ultimately the Hobgoblin in the cartoon as well um, And but then Roger Stern thought wait that doesn't make sense because the foreigner's men aren't super hard so if Ned was the Hobgoblin and that wasn't who I picked he would destroy them because he's got super strength so Ned couldn't have been the Hobgoblin. That's why he came back and wrote Hobgoblin Lives, where it revealed that Ned wasn't the Hobgoblin and it was his original pick all along. It was Agatha all along. So, no, I, I think who he picked, because he created the character as well. Um, like, in his spectacular... He introduced the character in his spectacular run, so it makes sense that it was a character that he introduced. And I thought that making it that character and that character had a brother so that... Some, in some scenes where the Hobgoblin is, you think you see that character, but it's actually his brother dressed up. Like, it's all, it's all very cleverly explained in this back matter. It's like, 
it actually wasn't this character in this scene. It was actually his brother in disguise. So that's why the Hobgoblin could be blah, 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 blah. Because there is a lot of scenes where the Hobgoblin is talking to the to, uh, himself. But it's actually the character's brother, not him. Isn't that right? I yeah, I was gonna I was actually gonna ask you that because I'm gonna leave the listeners in suspense, but I, I know who it is, and then there was a scene during the blackmailing where they were both in the same place at once. And I was like, yes. wait a second, I'm gonna have to ask Glenn about that. So that's interesting well, he, that they pulled the old even says, uh the Hobgoblin could even be one of us. Ooh. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's pretty it's the pretty Hobgoblin, good. The Hobgoblin turns out to be Roger Kingsley. Um, yeah, Richard Stern um, brought, established whenever he came back and did Hobgoblin Lives with Ron Friends. Um, and th- there is a lot of stuff, though, in this run with Kingsley and Hobgoblin together, where, like, Kingsley is the Hobgoblin's lackey. Isn't that right? Uh, they don't interact. Now? I think that's later, because they don't interact a ton. I really think the only time they cross over is when... During that blackmailing scene, Kingsley says he could be any one of us, you know, yeah. while he's sitting right there. But other than that, they don't cross over much. I just Kate I knew that. There. I, I knew. Have to go give my give my little girl duty. I'll be right back. All right. All right. While he does that, Lex, what did you think about the overall Hobgoblin arc? I thought it was very cool. I liked seeing the. Um, introductory to a character that I've never really had a thought of before and to see how major of a character he was and to do the whole like chemical burning off the face of that one guy and I was like oh that's him that's him and then it plot twisted that it wasn't like I really felt like I was super invested into what was going on and I felt like it was super fun to follow just having a clean slate, which I feel like I say on every single one of our podcasts, but I love that I have no knowledge to any of this before. <laughs> I'm back. He's I'm back. Yeah. At all. I'm back. Um, sorry, oh. my little girl. Needed a dummy. No, you're good. Um, I was just asking Alexis about her experience with the Hobgoblin. Oh, I, and... I was listening. Yeah, perfect. Um, I, I honestly kind of agree with you, Lex. I I wish that I didn't know who like, the Green Goblin was with the first, that 39 issues before it's revealed, you know? Yeah. And so there was a little bit of fun capturing that with the Hobgoblin, even though, again, I knew who it was this time. I still found myself yeah. getting caught up in the mystery, and I was like, wait, do I have yeah. it wrong, you know? Yeah, do a double take. Yeah. Yeah, which was, was really fun. Um, for the sake of time... I'm going to move us into listener questions. Yeah. Is everybody okay with that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> I just, like, Glenn's like, absolutely not. Nope. We are staying <laughs> I'm on not Hobgoblin. Done. I insist. Three more hours on Stern Spider Man, please. Perfect. Um, I believe that you could. Uh, all right. So, our first listener question says Spider Man question. And it's, I promised this reader I would read it in a French accent. Oh, so, boy. Everyone oh buckle boy. down. Okay, so this is my French accent. I would say, hello, this is Alfred here. I would like to know your opinion about Spider-Man's run from the 2010s <laughs> and focusing on Peter Parker with Slot, Zdarsky, Taylor, and Spencer. 
Au revoir et bonne émission, like we say in France. Alfred. That wasn't bad. Thank you. Thank you very much. There's my stupid voice for the episode. I have yeah. promised that if people send in questions, I will do a stupid voice. Oh. So, Glenn, if you send in a question, I will do an Irish accent. I will butcher said accent, but I will do it. <laughs> well, I don't really. I have a Northern Irish accent. <laughs> I know. It's, oh, it's really accent. See, I'm you. just going to give my, my Love Island interpretation of it all, where everybody has oh. very deep accents. I can um, I can turn it on a little bit, but all right. So going back to Alfred's beautiful question in that stunning voice, if I may say so myself. What do we <laughs> oh, think, yeah. uh, Glenn? What do you think of Spider-Man's modern comics in the 2010s? So Slot, Zdarsky, Tom Taylor, and now Nick Spencer. Love Slot, love Spencer, love Taylor, and when it comes to uh, no, sorry, love Slot, love Zdarsky, love Taylor. When it comes to uh, to Spencer, my mama always says, my mama always says, um, I can do stupid voices too. Um, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. I've hated <laughs> this run so damn much uh, for many, many reasons. And I don't like to be negative um, because there's enough of that on the internet. Um, so I don't talk about it a lot, but it's just horrendously. It ranges from tolerably bad to offensively bad. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. I don't know that I would go that far in my own opinion, but like, it's definitely uh, Spider-Man's my favorite character, and I get around to his comic on my weekly polls, you know, which is kind of a bad sign. Oh, I always read it first. I go from at least anticipate to most because then I start off on a low and I'm like oh this is terrible but I've got die to look forward to or something you know um yeah totally so um it's just I'm kind of but... I'm kind of right there with you though with the hot take of liking slots run I mean we might lose all of our followers from saying this but I mean Dan slots run was what was going on when I got into comics and so I hopped on right at the beginning of Superior Spider-Man and then not fully understanding what was going on, I went back and I read all of the big time run leading up to it, right? And so I I've always I always liked Peter Parker. I will say they lost me a little bit after Superior. I don't think anything quite hit the heights of Superior again. And I wasn't a huge fan of Parker Industries. But, like, I didn't think it was character-breaking or horrible, like a lot of people seem to think, you know? I was like, oh, Dan Slott is doing his best homage of the Stan Lee run. And, like, he likes that version of Peter. I don't know that the humor always landed for me. But, like, Dan Slott swings for the fences. And whether or not he connects is its own question. But, like, I was never bored with the Slott run, you know? I was always like, what, what the hell is going to happen next? And so, like, it kept me invested. I did kind of piddle off during the second clone saga that they did. And I came back just to read the last, the Red Goblin arc. Oh, but, you like, mean uh, Dead No More? Uh, I don't, I honestly don't remember what, oh, Dead No More. So when, like, Ben O'Reilly comes back and he has, like, that Anubis oh, mask, uh, right? Uh, clone Conspiracy, Dead No More, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I got about halfway through that and I was like, yeah, I just 
you've you've lost me. I don't care to see where this goes. And then I came back to read his last five issues that he did, which I honestly thought were great. I liked the Red Goblin, and Dan Slott's last issue was his best issue of Spider-Man, in my opinion. Just a sec. I have to get my little girl. All right. Um, while he's doing that, I'm going to read our second and our last listener question. Okay. So this is from Eric Azana. And BFF. He is BFF of the pod. And so again, I have to read it in a, a funny voice. So I'm Ooh. gonna I'm gonna get into character here. I'm gonna do <laughs> Kronk from <gasps> Oh <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Uh all right, so hey hey Peter. Hello, Dells. Oh, uh, that's not it. Hey no. Peter. Hello, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't get into it. <laughs> um, I met uh, I met Patrick Wilburton. <gasps> really? Did you really you met Patty? I did. I met him at Dublin. He was lovely. Are you going to pick a different voice, Del? Um, no, I'm just going to do a like, normal stupid Dan. voice. You do a good what? Dan. Mm, do you want to read this in that voice? Sure. The second email? Question. So, so the one, uh, no, one from Eric Azana. It's in here. <clears throat> I'll probably embarrass myself now. This is Tom Hardy being uh, it's the only band I can do. I can't do Spanish band. Hello, Dallas Alex is a grand. Not necessarily a question regarding the study, even though it's amazing. But I'd love to get your thoughts on this. My favorite Spidey run is Superior Spider-Man. It was genuinely the first full run of all webheads that I was invested in, enough to pick up and collect each month. What are your thoughts on the run? And what other Spidey villain do you think should have their their own superior style story? Thanks as always for an amazing podcast. Can't wait to listen to the episode. Excelsior, Eric. That was mar- that was, that was fantastic. Way to go. The key to doing a good bait impression is to randomly raise and lower your voice at random intervals. <laughs> I I hope people have stuck around for these stupid voices. Um, but just to, to quickly answer that question, like I said just before, I love Superior Spider-Man. I thought it was super inventive, fun. It was a great era to hop on to the ongoing Spider-Man comics. And like, I, I genuinely believe one of my favorite moments in comics of all time is when Peter comes back makes fun of Norman and Norman realizes that it's Peter. Oh, it's you. Right? Yeah. Like easily, (sighs) arguably my favorite Spider-Man moment of all time. So like just for that, I love it. But the whole run was so, so fun. I honestly loved it so much. I want an omnibus of it so bad. I remember reading Amazing 698 or 697. um, And I remember reading on the train from work <clears throat> and I was like wow Peter's being a real dick this issue for like no reason what the hell's going on this isn't like Dan to write uh, Dan you know my best friend Dan uh, to write Peter beside a character and then at the end it revealed it was the, had the big reveal that he'd uh, swapped Ock and Spider-Man at uh, swap bodies I let out such a big gasp on the train people stared at me and I read the. That's awesome. 
I read the issue again right away because I needed to read it again with that knowledge. That oh, that's why he's been uh, acting out of character. I just thought that I just thought that era was brilliant. I loved again. It's it's just so nice to see something different. You know, I've been reading Spider-Man for a long, long time. Like, and I, uh, I often boast I can't be I quizzed on Spider-Man. That's a after seeing the Spider-Man daily quizzes, I know that's a horrible, horrible lie. But uh, I have a pretty <laughs> fair knowledge of the character, and I have a pretty good portion of all Spider-Man comics up in my attic because my kids took their to, had to exist and take up that space. Anyway, um, but um, like it's so refreshing to see something new and unexpected and different and 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 risky. Um, I do. I just loved how Slot was able to. Pick up all these old familiar things like here's Spider Man versus Kingpin, here's Spider Man versus Venom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it was all different and new because it was auto. And I loved that redemption story that's and how Slot wrote that character. Um, and I think that that gave the character a world of potential that Nick Spencer's probably going to ruin. Um, in Superior, oh, actually already has because he's just made the Corona of Kindred, that's all I forgot. Um, anyway, but no, I thought that Superior was, but I mean, I knew that the whole talk about it being permanent was BS because again, I knew there's a movie coming, they're going to have Peter back from the movie, I'm not stupid. Um, but uh, it was fantastic while it lasted, I thought. Yeah, I agree, and honestly, it got enough room to breathe, which was really fun, you know. Yeah. The the idea of Dr. Octopus swapping brains with Peter Parker sounds like something that they would do for a six-issue arc, you know? And so yeah. it was really, really fun to have it go for 31 issues, you know? Yeah. Like, that was... It was fun. And for anybody that might have issue with that, and they're like, oh, like, you should... Someone should be able to access Peter Parker when they want to after a movie. You know, I'm like, I, I disagree. I started with Superior Spider-Man. And I adored it. I liked that it was fresh. You know, I honestly feel like if I had picked up a Spider-Man comic and it was just more of the same that I'd seen in the movies or in any other place, I don't know that I would have been hooked like I was, you know? Tell you something, tell you better than that. My first, because again, I know I I mentioned that I had this exposure to mainstream Spider-Man when I was young, but when I started reading Spider-Man properly, uh, on a regular basis, there was two of them, and one of them was blonde, and one of them wasn't called yeah. Peter. I had no heck, I had no heck an idea what was going on, and I'm still a fan. Like twenty odd years later, it's not. I think there's too much made of jumping on points. You, I mean, especially now we're in the collection era, we're in and uh, the digital era. It's never been easier to catch up if you want to, but yeah. you don't. It's People make too much of it. People and the companies overthink it as well. Um, I think you just like everyone I know who is being a fan of comics for 10, 20, 30, 40 years started with an issue that has a triple digit number. Most more often than not. So totally. it's, it's I I just think it's made overcomplicated these days, to be honest. But anyway. Um and so yeah, I just I think it was just a brilliant era and I knew it was a popular one because it sold like bananas yeah i i honestly am shocked that it hasn't been recollected in an accessible way because so many people love it 
Yeah, um, I I'll be first in line when they announce whatever collection of the Superior Spider-Man. I can assure you, I will be the first in line to get it. So I hope that answers your question, Eric. I love that run. If you ever need anyone on your podcast to come and talk about that run, pick mm-hmm. me. I love that run, and I need an excuse to reread it. Did um, you um, read that run, Alexis? I don't think that I have. Have I done? You should. You have not. You should. It's really okay. fun. I'm down. I'm always open to suggestions. I love when people give me suggestions on Twitter. Yeah. I love reading I, during work when I'm supposed to be working. Yay, <laughs> that's awesome. I think the only minor if I could lobby any criticism against it, I think it's how May treated uh Autumn's girlfriends. Yeah, that wasn't great. Uh, I, I don't think Anna Maria. That, Anna Maria that I couldn't remember her name. So for context, Alexis, um as when Otto was Peter, he initially was dating Mary Jane, but then last. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he started dating uh, a woman named Anna Marie, who was uh, a dwarf, uh, I suppose is the PC term now. I don't know. I, I lose track of these things. Apologies. Mm-hmm. Um, and like whenever he brought her home to Aunt May, Aunt May was like, well, think of the children you might have. And I was like, this isn't May Parker. Parker would never say something like that. Yeah. 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 I wasn't a huge fan of that. Um, so that's maybe the only thing I would um, sort of criticize. And, and and he brought back Stunner, which I thought was brilliant. The, uh, I wish he brought back Caroline Trainer as well. I thought that would have been fun to, um, a fun matchup to see. Yeah, I I really Alexis. It was my first Spider-Man run, and I think it's the reason that Spider-Man is. I, Spider-Man was my favorite character before that, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, it still is a high watermark of all the Spider-Man comics I've read. Like, okay. it's right up there with anything else I love. And it's a pretty self-contained story, if if you ever want to read it. Maybe uh, I will. But that is the last of our listener questions, and I am certainly getting the wrap-it-up signal from my lovely <laughs> wife. So, <laughs> I I have been... Dallas Taylor of the Comics Collective. And I'm Alexis. And I just want to say that uh, as an owner of Avenging Spider-Man 9, uh, which is the first appearance of Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel, I am the biggest Captain Marvel fan this podcast has ever seen. And I'm glad. <laughs> You're such a troublemaker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. All right. Thank you.